Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello? Is that any better? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. It's, um, it's not loud. Let me just bring you closer. Talk again, Jess. Sorry, one second. Wires. Okay. How is this? Is this it's any all right? better? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's all right. Yeah. It's, okay. She still feels a little far away, Tom. But I'm gonna come right close to my computer. <laughs> How am I doing? How am oh, I reading? Oh, perfect now. Yeah, yeah. Great. Good. Okay, good. good. Um, okay, Great. so I'm going to do the opening titles. Mm-hmm. We'll crack straight in because otherwise we'll end up talking about it before we start. The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist Watchers and Just Like That, The Sex and the City Reheal with me, Deborah Francis-White, and my very special guest, Jessica Regan. Episode four, Some of My Best Friends. <laughs> so, Jess, what's mm-hmm. your history with Sex and the City? Uh, pretty formative. Uh, it, it came out, I think, when I was about 16 and I was deemed old enough to to watch it by my mother. And we we wa- we would watch it every Thursday night on RTE television. And RTE would get it. Irish television would get it like right after America. I think even before the UK. They were funny like that. Things like Friends and X-Files. They were really on top of in Ireland. Oh. And um, I remember my mum and I would watch it together. And we just threw up the most incredible conversation points. And, you know, I, I'm her youngest child, so she, you know, she'd been through it. She was like, you know what, probably better that, you know, this kind of stuff. But I just found it so refreshing and interesting. And I love to show that centered, that sex is important. It's nothing to be ashamed of, particularly having had a Catholic education. This was really refreshing and music to my ears. And like you've talked about in the other episodes, you know, like Alison Spittle said, these women going for brunch in New York was the most glamorous, wonderful thing it was so aspirational and I think it, it did definitely fuel this like I want to live in a glittering metropolitan city and and you know so it, it really was very very formative um so yeah. do you think if it were not for sex in the city you may not have moved to London it definitely did? influenced it influenced London and also it really influenced like I remember <laughs> I had this whole thing people were like why haven't you been to America yet and I said I'm going to America when I can afford brunch, I don't want to do it on the cheap. I want to be in New York and I want to get a fancy cocktail in a fancy bar and know my card will work. And then I would go to New York. And that's exactly what I did. Mm. Um, but I th- it really, I think, made myself and mom have this, my mother, amazing woman, have this very open and frank relationship about these things, which I think is very rare and unusual. <laughs> so it, it, it was its own gift. And I felt very protective of it when the second film came out. And I get it. The second film is an abomination. I get it. But I remember one review describing them as venal sluts. And I remember thinking, Ooh. this 
they're not being tried for crimes at the Hague. Like this, they made a shitty film. Like, can we calm down? You know. Yeah. And I remember thinking, what it did for sex positivity in my life. I I just I felt like people don't get that there is a significance here. There is good things here. Oh, completely. I really, in its day, it was so influential. There was and nothing it was like it. So innovative. There was some kind of article somewhere last week that said times that Samantha was unnecessarily slut-shamed by her friends. And it was pointing out that, you know, Carrie had uh, slut-shamed her because she had given a blowjob to a UPS guy. Mm -hmm. And I actually commented, very rare that I will comment to someone I don't know on the internet, (laughs) but I said, no, no, that's your, I I didn't say this patronizingly, but I am saying it here. Sure. It, people misunderstand the difference between story and things that happen in stories. Oh my God. She wasn't unnecessarily slut shamed by her friends. Because of that episode and episodes like it, the general population was educated as to the concept of slut shaming. I would suspect that without Sex in the City, we may not even have that turn of phrase in such a broad part of society. Um, because it was Samantha's response where she said something like, I will blow whomever I want, yes. however I want, as long as I have knees and, and breath. Breath in something my body, like that. Yes. yes, exactly. It was, it was Shakespearean. Um, and she, yeah, she said, I, I won't be shamed by you or anybody. Mm-hmm. And so the slut shaming reflected what happened in society all the time, mm-hmm. even amongst good friends. Mm-hmm. And it was her powerful response. And Carrie saying, you're right, and I'm sorry, and you didn't judge me when I had an affair, but I'm judging you for some casual encounter. Why? And what's that about? And it made her question her relationship with sex and society. And so I think things like that, that Sex and the City gave us, this powerhouse, beautiful, Mm -hmm. well-dressed, successful woman like Samantha going, Mm -hmm. oh, no, 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 no. This Mm -hmm. is my choice and this is how I choose to live. And this is absolutely, uh, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing to be ashamed of. And there's nothing particularly morally superior about commitment if that's not what you want. Because ultimately, Samantha showed us that wasn't what she wanted. It didn't make her happy in the same way that lots yeah. of sexual encounters did. And speaking of Samantha, do you think that Seema, who is Carrie's new estate agent, real estate agent, is she the new Samantha? I think that's what they're driving at here. I mean, there's only one Samantha, but I think they are throwing a stunningly beautiful, non-bereaved single woman into the mix. And I have to say, and I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, I had my issues with this episode, but the exchange between Seema and Carrie towards the end of the episode, I gave a little clap because as someone who has been single kind of on and off for about six years now, I some of what Seema was saying really chimed with me, but I don't know how much you want to get into that. Oh, well, uh, we're going to do a yet. quick recap. Yeah. Would you like to see the recap or do you want me to do it? I'll hand it over to, to DFW. Okay, a uh, quick recap. Um, on Carrie's front, she woke up in her old apartment, the one that we know and love, because she had walked there the night before in the previous mm-hmm. episode and decided she didn't want to go and sleep in her own biggest bed. And so we woke up there. It's all beautifully done up and it doesn't look like her old bachelor pad from the noughties, but it's Mm -hmm. got the same geography, the same shape, the same wardrobe. It's really lovely. She wakes up, she can hear the garbage trucks. It's all downtown again. It's not the big fancy uptown Mm -hmm. penthouse. And goes and visits an old haunter coffee shop bodega in her local neighbourhood. I think we're heading towards her deciding she's going to live back in her old place. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, she decides too many ghosts in the old apartment. She's going to sell it. She makes friends with an estate agent we've already referenced called Seema, um, who is on dating apps. In the meantime, uh, Miranda gets uh, ribbed by her son and his girlfriend about smelling like marijuana. We know that she Mm -hmm. has had a little uh, puff of marijuana in the form of a, a sexy shotgun uh, mm-hmm. the night before. She denies this and <laughs> we see her go out uh, for a dinner with her college lecturer who inexplicably, although she's t- 
managed to tangle herself up in this college lecturer braids, I mean, metaphorically and almost literally. Somehow this college lecturer, this incredible black woman, wants to hang out with Miranda because she wants to talk to her about the complications of um, motherhood as she's doing fertility treatment versus, you know, living your full life as your whole self, child-free, and the opportunities that affords you. Charlotte's plot line is... Well, this was rough. Evoking this was the, rough. the original episodes oh again. Why can they not just be relaxed about Stop Charlotte's it. best friend at school is black? Why can't she just be relaxed with that? Can't, you're stressing me out. Like, why Sharon, have they decided these people, out. these women have only met black people last year? I understand they have changed and changed their social circles since the noughties, but it's like, honestly... They were literally introduced to black people last week before the show yeah. started. And, and I'm like, and have they not having culture shock oh, over and over again? It is, so it is, strange. it is, it is demonic. It is, it is, it is ridiculous. Like these are New York women. They weren't yes. in like, they weren't in um, Aspen. They were hold up an Aspen, you know, in a sort of a white enclave and then were like brought to the city. These are sophisticated New York women. Miranda had a, a black partner for a time. And that was yes. quite a serious relationship. Yes. Um, why, this is Why are they so strange cringing. about it? So LTW, who is, I think in a previous episode, we've decided possibly the most beautiful woman in the world. Truly. And and I'm delighted that there's one black woman in this show who is allowed to just be glamorous, yeah. beautifully dressed, clearly draped <laughs> in designer labels, uptown, yeah. drinking the cocktails, mixing the, mixing the mixes, you know, all of that, that the white women got to do through the whole of the 90s and the noughties. Yeah. How, that's amazing. Why, why, and, we, and like, why will we not have to that has mother-in-law issues. Like, yeah, he has mother-in-law issues. Uh, mother-in-law issues, like just as, as perennial as grass. One thing that I thought was, I almost thought, was this a comedy beat that was missed or have they underplayed it? When um, uh, Harry was like, oh, you know what? That goes really well with port if your husband drinks. And she went, oh, he drinks, he has to. He's married to this. And I'm like, yeah. He, what he's so he's on his knees thanking God every day for his yes, blessed exactly. blessed life. I, Are you as as the most beautiful woman in the world stood in a doorway? Yes, like, the most beautiful together, oh, successful. Oh yeah. She Your says she husband. clearly makes documentaries because she references. Oh, I pretend I'm talking to talking my to my film crew. crew. I mean, I can't. So she's I cannot with this woman. Clearly, you know? a successful documentary maker who is has the most beautiful apartment anybody's ever seen. Um, but the conceit in this is. Charlotte is becoming closer friends with the most glamorous woman in the world, LTW. Mm-hmm. LTW mm-hmm. happens to be African-American and Charlotte is has an opportunity to have this woman to her home. Mm-hmm. Strangely, she's not had her there before, given their closest friends on the board of the school or in some, some kind they of... They only met black people two weeks ago, though, Deborah. So actually the timeline so does check out. Absolutely strange. What is happening? So anyway, she's, let's, let's, say, let's, get, let's be generous and say, okay, they clearly have been working together, but now Charlotte sees this as an opportunity for a friendship. She likes mm-hmm. her a lot. She's now being invited into a social circle. Let's be generous and say that's what's happening. So... Charlotte has an opportunity to have Del WT to her place, but in two nights time. And she panics and realizes that everyone else on the guest list will be white. And she doesn't want LTW and her husband to turn up and think she doesn't have any black friends. So she, uh, Harry says, well, we've got, you know, those, what about the people in 4D? And she's great. We've got black neighbors. We went to brunch with them once. And he says, not for two nice. years. And she says, well, COVID killed a year. So she, Basically tries to force the woman who is not free. In a free. stalky, uncomfortable, in truly obnoxious very way. Very uncomfortable way. Very and then starts deeply. ringing around and says, Anthony, remember that black guy you oh, dated a while ago who was an artist? Can we have him? And Anthony's on to her and goes, no, I don't have his details anymore, but there's an ethnically ambiguous, <laughs> ambiguous way, like yeah. delivery guy here that I can help you with because he knows exactly what she's doing. And he's the only one in her world who will like presumably name it and say that's what you're doing so she hangs up on him and is so desperate to have another black person there she invites someone neither of them like at the school Mm. who they've sort of teamed up against it's all about mean guys i was like just socially not not brutally or cruelly but they've sort of made an alliance uh against a woman in a who's who they feel has overstepped a mark who had the temerity the audacity to suggest an alternative 
day trip for the students. I don't know Crimes. what she's thinking. Crimes. Looking back. Um, so anyway, then uh, LTW can't come on that anyway. So this this dinner party comes crashing down. Mm. Charlotte and Harry go to their dinner party, which is, I think, a birthday party for yeah, LTW's husband's husband. Birthday. And lo and behold, they are the only white people there because LTW only has black friends. Now, I am not suggesting that an uptown, very glamorous black couple would not only have black friends. Mm -hmm. I'm saying I would think that would be unusual, um, but I'm not saying it's not it's not for me, a white person, to say that wouldn't be the case. What I am going to go on a limb and say is if you were an African-American couple, a very glamorous, very wealthy African-American couple who only had black friends and you now had one white friend, I am telling you this, it would not be Charlotte York. <laughs> it's not going to be Charlotte York. I can imagine. I didn't know where this was going, but I, I can imagine. I can imagine an uptown uh, black couple who have lots of friends of different races and lots of white mm. friends, and one of those might be Charlotte York. Maybe Northern the black. black friends all had a bet amongst them going, I who could bet bring you the, to whitest meet the whitest couple. person. Who's going to bring? And they have dinner parties, and there's always, and, and like it's like, um, it's almost like a dinner party Hunger Games or like a parlor game. Who can bring the whitest person when they go it's to like someone else's? It's like See You Next Tuesday, that, that yeah, film about and, and, and bringing they'll a go twat. to they'll go to Marcus's next week and Marcus will be like, this is Chad from work. Yes. And he'll be like, oh, hey, hi. And he'll be in chinos and, you <laughs> like know, talking Sunday about... Like a Live sketch. Yeah, talking about where... cryptocurrency and, and Joe Rogan and they'll be like, oh, it's tough, it's tough. You know, Chad is tough. Mm, you know, I, that is the only thing I can think of. Um, But it's just, it's, what I find a little bit why are we why are we going through this why are why are we why can't we you know you you and tom have this like wonderful improv background and you taught me so much and the thing was like start the story at like the latest possible moment and we're doing this race relations preamble that we oh, just, don't just don't need mean. it's shoe leather it's and i wonder if this episode is truly the casualty of willie garson's passing because mm. it was so kind of, it felt off kilter. It felt strange, and then and it felt suddenly a- Stanford has left oh, a note man. saying he's going to Japan to support a TikTok star and would like to divorce Anthony. And I do not feel that in any way, shape, or form respects Stanford's no. contribution. And I understand why they felt they could not kill him off because Big had died. Because Carrie would be in the Hudson. But I, I just think the only no. respectful thing to do was to have Stanford either pass away and have her deal with it mm-hmm. or, I don't know, something else because it feels like he's just never going to come back and they're just not going to mention him again. And he could it feels have had like- COVID and had to isolate. He could have had long COVID. Oh, COVID would have been good. You no, know, they've, they've written COVID out of this though. COVID's in yeah. the past in this. I, I, but I, I suppose, I think that was the thing. It, it felt like a four o'clock in the morning, what the hell are we going to do? It felt like it was from a writer who didn't grow up with Sex in the City. Yeah. And, and, and I just so was like, you don't know Stanley. This isn't, it's so... I feel he, if they were going to give Stanford a career out, it needed to be something big because she says, if he considers this good news, I guess I want to know the good news. And I'm like, no, well then let him have a huge opportunity and let's see her call him and say, Stanford's just FaceTimed me and said, you know, or or I, she let's see her at the airport waving him off. Yeah. To yeah, see the her plane and Anthony go. holding each other, you know, and yeah. and 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 actually giving us even a, if they're mourning him, if they're waving off, or if, if it's like standing up the opportunity of a lifetime. I, I don't know. I just think it was the strangest. Again, not committing to anything. Yeah, it, it, it's just making like just standing a little bit cheesy. about. I don't get it. I don't. I don't get who this TikTok kid is or why he yeah. needs to go to Japan. And the fact that he he breaks up with her on a post-it. Um, not to get into my I've evoking old episodes. Oh, I love your evoking. I I'm love a, your evoking. I might I might have to go into evoking. I think it's supposed to. Did he burger her? Stanford burger. Burgers. That is Stanford not Burger Carry. Stanford guys. was always there, looking into her eyes, telling her she was worth more. Stanford would never break up with her on a poster. No, no, he wouldn't. Speaking of callbacks, my sister pointed out a really good one, and I don't know if this came up in Asens in the last episode. But remember when Carrie spilled coffee all over herself? Sorry, yes. this is a little callback. It's like, remember when she spilled coffee on big at Aiden's furniture booth and they bumped into Natasha? Okay. And big. So when did she spill coffee over herself? When, uh, or she did, sorry, when, um, when, when she... When the coffee overflows. 
no, uh, sorry, in, in the previous episode. Sorry, I'm going back. Because oh, I couldn't okay. find any callbacks until you said the post-it one. But FYI, just a little coffee callback in the in the previous one. Okay, so when she spilt that. coffee over herself. And burnt herself seeing Natasha. It was like when she spilled coffee over Big, seeing Big and Natasha at Aiden's furniture booth. Okay, that is so weird because that episode is evoked in this episode as well. Go on. Do you on. know why? No, tell me more. I love because this. I love this game. Do you remember when Carrie and Aiden in that episode are minding his booth? Yeah, and the, she's his booth bitch. Yeah, she's his booth bitch. Mm-hmm. Natasha and Big turn up, mm-hmm. and then Big comes back alone and he's drunk. I Do know you remember what, what he says? Everything, Everything in my apartment, apartment is, is beige. beige. Beige is bullshit. Do you remember he says that to her? Yeah. And what is said in this week's episode? When she says, uh, the realtor, Seema says, uh, everything's so beautiful, everything's so Mm. colorful, Mm -hmm. but this isn't good to sell a place with. She says, my husband didn't like beige. Beige. Yeah. And and Carrie in the the Booth Bitch episode has the best comeback I think she's ever had in any series. When he goes, um, you know, it's not working. And she goes, oh, go sleep in your beige bed. Yes, that was that was a good one. Absolutely. So I'm going to run through some things that I think evoke old episodes now. Mm -hmm. The biggest one for me and the most obvious one for me is Carrie has a cigarette. I know it felt so transgressive. That's where we're at now. It was like she literally did some crack. Yes, because now the thing is inside a car as well. Inside a car, absolutely, which absolutely evokes how Big used to pull up sitting in the backseat of a car and he had his driver role. Um, Now, Carrie never smoked with any of her friends. She only smoked with Big. She smoked alone or she smoked with Big. Yeah. Aidan hated her smoking. The friends hated her smoking and they used to say to her, give up smoking. Not even Samantha shared a cigarette with her and Samantha was the most likely to be the party girl. She smoked with Big and so this cigarette is a lean back, it reminding her of the days when she smoked with Big. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point, when they've fallen in the pond together oh, yeah. and they're back at his place and she's you know, in his bathrobe, mm-hmm. he says, do you want to smoke? She says, I don't smoke anymore. And he says, oh, that's a shame. We always enjoyed a smoke together. She says, we did a lot of things lot of that things. were bad for me together. Yeah. And so this smoking, to me, is holding hands with the big of the past when they were out there, Mm. naughty, having affairs, having good times, being young, Mm. being reckless. She was her old party girl self. And that Mm -hmm. first drag of the cigarette is both holding hands with her past of being a single girl out there and holding hands with her future of, I'm going to have to go back there again. And as Mm. she says to Seema, put myself out there again. Mm -hmm. Um, and the conversation you evoked that she has with Seema, would you want to talk a little bit about why that meant yeah, something to you? because I thought, so here's where like, we're sort of wading our way. It's an uphill slog through this crazily, unnecessarily clunky, tenured kind of race relations. And the thing that I'm, I'm confused about Tony is how much, are we meant to think Charlotte's being ridiculous or are we going, oh, classic problems. I, I, that's the thing that I'm unsure of. But so, the, and then out of nowhere, Kind of then there's like the there's the lotus in the mud with all that nonsense. And then there's this exchange between Seema and Carrie where, you know, um, Seema has totally accidentally knocked over a frame, a picture of her and Big and the glass is broken. And Carrie's point is like, he's touched that glass. You can't just replace the glass. He's touched that glass and it was precious and, and has a totally understandable reaction to this. And Seema's kind of quietly going, yeah, really sorry, staying calm. And she goes, well, you're being very insensitive to me. And 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 Seema's like, no, 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 I, 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 I'm not that person. I'm very sorry this has happened. Please don't think. I guess we can all come across as insensitive sometimes, like you did the other day. And I remember thinking, I don't remember. Like it had oh, been I so did. well acted. I knew acted. exactly what she was talking See, about because I, I clocked I it in the moment. It. I didn't clock it, which then made it kind of a nice thing for me when she said, "Still putting your." So you said, and I, lo- I thought it was really good writing. I almost wondered if it was the. I just loved the way she went. Um, you said something like, no, actually, this is exactly what you said, because I remember. Like, when you're really upset by something someone said, it sears itself. You, you word for word, you can testify in a court of law, you know. Um, and she calls her back to her and she's like, you said, good for you or for still putting yourself out there still. 
And I think for me, it's not that that's been said to me or anything, but that sometimes there can be an insensitivity. Can I just say, by the way, you're a lot younger than Seaman. I don't see why anyone would say that to you. You're still in your 30s. Seaman's clearly in her 50s. Absolutely. Where the Venn diagram crosses over is just a casual throwaway thing that someone says to you about your single state that you're fine with being single until that thing is said to you. Mm. Are you still putting yourself out there? Oh, that's so great for you. It's or, like, oh, you know, thanks. I mean, like, yeah, or, or just just things, they can be really seemingly innocuous. But I, I remember, um, you know, I have a couple of exes that I'm not in speaking terms with, and that's a, that's a really good thing and a healthy thing for everyone involved. But since then, I have a couple of exes who I am very friendly with and are in my phone and are good men who I still kind of might have a coffee with or chat or, you know, all good stuff. And I was saying this quite proudly to a friend of mine who had been in a long, long, long-term relationship, always had someone carrying her bags, always, had, you know, someone sharing the, the labour, physical and emotional. And they were like, and they were like, why would, why would you go back? Why would you even bother staying friends with anyone? Like, it's over, like, let it go. And I remember just thinking, like, you don't understand that, like, that's a milestone for me and that I've now inculcated healthier dynamics. But from your prism, it's like, if they're not the one, why would you bother? Like, and, and kind of wanting to put you into boxes. People really want to put single people into boxes. They want to stream them. And even Carrie, even the queen of single women, was doing that in that moment. Mm. And I thought that was well represented. It was interesting. And also about the nature of insensitivity, how sometimes people really are coming across differently than how um, they think in their heads. The way Seema, um, Carrie read Seema being very insensitive. And Seema was like, I'm quietly, calmly sitting here and hearing you. Yes. And how that, you know, I just, I just, I thought I was like, oh, now I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But is there a question, Deborah, where all these characters of colour are being brought in to teach the white ladies lessons? That's what I'm concerned about, that they're not being three dimensional in themselves. Is there a danger that they're just here to teach lessons, to make these white women better people? That would be a very harsh assessment, but like, is it one we need to? Yes. Uh, Well, I feel so far with Seema that there does seem to be an exchange because this isn't about race. This is about, Mm -hmm. hey, you don't know what it's like to be a widow. Well, hey, you don't know what it's like to never have had the opportunity to be a widow and never will have that opportunity to have a long-term love in the same way that you've had it. Mm -hmm. That's fine. We teach each other things as friends all the time and we enlighten each other all the time. To me, the problem is when the lessons are constantly about race because it's reducing characters like LTW to her race and clearly she is so much more. And Charlotte's meant to save the day because she knows all of these amazing black artists in LTW's house and says what great investment they all are to her mother-in-law. So she sort of saves the day for LTW in one way. But I'm like, again, really LTW only has black artists And it's like this weird, strange world where LTW, uh, you go to her house. She only has black friends. She only has black artists. Her whole life is blackness. Her whole life is African-Americanness. Now, I'm not saying there are no African-Americans like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 And it's not for me to say, uh, you know, what LTW would or wouldn't be like. Mm -hmm. It's just strange that then that kind of person would make friends with Charlotte, the whitest (laughs) person in the world, who also can't recognize one black person over another one accidentally calls one of her friends the wrong name and just mm-hmm. is the clunkiest white person to invite to that and it yeah. just seems very strange to me that she's like she adores charlotte she thinks charlotte's wonderful and i'm like i i, I listen i i am sure many black people have you know white clunky white friends i'm sure i mm-hmm. have been a clunky white friend White sure, hundred percent. Like for uh, me, you speak it for me. Uh, I'm not like, yeah, uh, no, you have hundred percent. Like, of course, I, no, no, yeah. no. I'm not singling myself out as some kind of better white person. Uh, of course not. Me but, neither. Um, but I am saying it's a such a strange. It's such a strange world. It's like Charlotte gets to go into African American Disneyland, and it's like I would love to see her go. And she's got a Jeff Coons because. You know, oh, it's a good investment. It's a good investment. And it's not like this absolutely wall to wall. And Charlotte knows about African-American art. Thank goodness save the day is saved. And poor um, Harry has to keep making jokes about African-American authors. Well, I love Michelle Obama's book. Yeah, like, that Charlotte's primed oh him for and is worried he's going to be too clunky. 
Harry and Anthony have the best lines in this whole, the, the laugh lines. The they, men they, keep getting the laugh lines, which is strange because it used to be the women with the singers and Anthony, I, to be fair. I wrote um, in my notes when they were having the conversation about art, I wish these were my problems. Oh, gee, my mother-in-law isn't impressed with all the amazing art I bought for my Upper East Side apartment. Like, I'm sorry that I'm not like going, I'm so glad Charlotte saved the day. I'm really rooting for this. It's like, I you're mean, all fine. You're all fine. I mean, <laughs> this, isn't, it is this the, isn't problems. It is the sex of the city world, though, where problems are very uptown, uh, first world. Um, they're, they're, I totally agree. And I, I love frivolity. I love frivolity. I love like the shoes going missing at the dinner party, like back in the day. I love all that. But for me, it's almost like a, a great weight and solemnity was given almost to something. It's where the tones keep jarring. Tones mm. jarred a lot for me in this episode where I thought, should that, should that have been light, silly, fun and throwaway? But actually it felt kind of like, this is a really big deal the way Charlotte knows all her art. And like it went on and, and on. on. And That's on. the thing that I'm I'm kind of scratching yeah. my chin It's over. not like, well, with this collector, she she points to sort of five different African-American Jeez. artists and names them all. And it's like, we get it. We get, Girl, we get the idea. Charlotte knows a lot about the history of art and makes LTW look good in front of her mother-in-law. Um, other evokings. Mm-hmm. Um when Carrie wakes up in her old apartment, we see a couple of historic outfits. Oh, um, yes. One is the multicolored dress that she wore when applying for a bank loan mm-hmm. in Sex and the City mm-hmm. uh, in order that she could afford the apartment that she's in. So mm. I think that's why she looked at it. And ultimately, uh, she had to go cap in hand to big to get advice, he tried to give her a check and she said no because they weren't together at that point. Mm-hmm. And instead she got the money from Charlotte's engagement ring, Yep, uh, the one that Trey had given her. And so female friendship saved the day, although that was always a very odd episode, the way she was angry with Charlotte for not offering the money. That was very strange to me. It, um, was, it was truly wild that like, to, but but there was something um I suppose is it very human to like 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 is in your your way off beam here like you're you're mad I won't give you forty thousand dollars. I mean, like, absolutely. Girl, like, come on. Imagine and I actually loved when Charlotte went. Your money problems aren't my problems. Like yeah. Charlotte was quite a badass in that episode, and yes. then had a change of heart that did did feel quite organic. But we had the white dress with the gold flower as yes, well from the first Iconic. film. Iconic. Um, and again, that was about her and the four girls uh, meeting and the cornerstone of the show, which is friendship to me, not sex. Um, so we saw both of those. And then in the putting yourself out there scene, the conversation that you really liked, uh, this evokes an episode where Charlotte goes to some kind of seminar for single women. Oh, yeah. And it's about putting yourself out there. And if you're really out really, there, it's like really the secret. It. It's yeah. like that, that yeah. idea. And Carrie defends Charlotte publicly and says, oh, she's out there. And she's like, she, you know, she, she says, well, maybe you're not really out there. And she's like, she is out there. She grabs the mark. It's she's- so funny. It was very good. And I loved actually, I think that's the episode where Carrie ends up dedicating her book to Charlotte because Charlotte was the most optimistic, romantic, hanging in there, putting herself out there gal of all of them. Yes. And it was really lovely because you'd expect her to dedicate it to all the girls, but she dedicated it to Charlotte who like, you know, she gave her ship for not giving her 40 grand so yeah she probably owed her a solid after that loan but um but it was just I remember thinking that was really nice like so we I never sneered at Charlotte I I kind of loved her earnestness and laughed along with her whereas now I'm like you're being ridiculous like it's slightly making me eye roll at Charlotte whereas I didn't before you know what I mean yeah no indeed uh can I tell you the conversation that felt very real to me please um it was the conversation between Miranda and her her college professor, Naya. Naya says it might be the hormones speaking because I've taken all of these hormones for fertility treatment, mm-hmm. but I'm going to confess some things to you now. And I did fertility treatment and it does mess with your, well, in my case, it did very much mess with me hormonally. Mm-hmm. And I found it very difficult because you're putting things into every orifice. I'm not making that up. You have pessaries, you have nasal sprays, eardrops, injections, you're injecting stuff into your legs. It's just unbelievable how much stuff you're putting into your body. And it kind of, it made me very emotionally unstable. And 
what she's examining is exactly what I was examining when I was doing fertility treatment because Naya's saying, the thing is, my life's not perfect, no one's is, but it's pretty close. Like I have this incredible life mm. and I'm living the life, I'm doing the thing that I want to do, I'm in a good relationship. Like, am I going to destabilize it with a baby? But then on the other hand, am I going to regret not having a baby? And mm-hmm. that's really why I'm doing it. And what Miranda says is very profound, I think. She says, having a child doesn't take away regret. That was powerful. She says, you know, I look at someone who was at college with me and she didn't get married, didn't have children, is now a, a federal judge. And Naya says, but she goes home to an empty house. Mm-hmm. And Miranda says, there are days when I would love to be a judge and yeah. go home to, home an, to empty an empty house. house. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's such a funny line. It's a great line. But yeah, you know, she says, my son, her, you know, 17 year old son, she says he's just mm-hmm. called me a bitch because I sent home his girlfriend and told him to do his homework. And mm. she refers to his dirty underwear being on her kitchen floor, which is really too low about her kitchen floor. Well, listen, floor. Brady's a little shit who, who needs to kick up the hole, as my people would say. Honestly, that kid. I understand like, like, dirty underwear on the bathroom floor, but on the kitchen, kitchen. floor, that's a bit much. That's yeah, a line no, to be crossed. Honestly, yeah, totally. Um, and yeah, so she says, look, you know, there are days when motherhood is wonderful moments and there's other days and times when motherhood is not wonderful also, she doesn't seem to be very connected to her husband anymore. Uh, they don't seem to be having any fun, um, so or much fun anyway. Mm-hmm. And so she's saying, look, there is this alternative life when, you know, you know that career has been the most important thing to Miranda. And now, for some inexplicable reason, human rights is more important to her than her whole corporate <laughs> Well, degree, when she saw those protests, Deborah, she knew she had to be part of the solution. <laughs> Exactly. When she saw those protests, that 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 moment turned it all turned it all turned around it all around. Which, yeah. if it did, I would like her to be further along in 2021. Given those happened in 2017, <laughs> anyway, I I would like that evolution to have been completed. But okay, um, I understand what she's saying, and I feel like Miranda could now be a judge with influence. Mm. She probably would have been happier, Miranda. With a series of lovers and no children. That's what I'm guessing. And, and, I don't maybe, think a, and maybe a series really of. It you really know, turned out to be this shining light. I think if she had this great relationship with him now, yeah. and they were kind of best buds and she was going to visit him at college and, you know, whatever, or he was becoming a lawyer and she was mentoring him, that mm. would be different. But it turns out he is not that fun a person right now. So I rather want to. certainly haven't written him like that. Happier. You know, they've given him very little redeeming characteristics whatsoever and they, they yeah there's a dissatisfaction permeating Miranda's life but I again to, to speak to your point about the writing just when she talked about roads not taken you know and I always sometimes when my friends ask me what should I do I say whatever decision you make will be the right one because it's the only one you could make in in that moment like I mean, not always. Sometimes you have to have an intervention and go, you are, give me your phone. You are not texting him. Sometimes you do have to be a little bit more active. But I would say in general, you know, if you're about by taking a job, about moving somewhere, about having kids or not having kids, it's like whatever you decide will work with it and we'll be here for each other. And, and Because you just can't know. It made me think as well about something a friend said to me years ago about how when things pass you by, like if her fertility treatment fails, say, you know, this character Anytime something doesn't work out the way you wanted it to, I know this might sound a bit cookie cutter, Christmas cracker, Pollyanna, but um, deep protection. There is deep protection. There are jobs I haven't gotten. And then I've heard about an awful time someone had on set and I go, oh, I wouldn't have been robust enough to deal with that or, or you know, things that haven't worked out. And I thought that Miranda was kind of, to see these two women having a very nuanced conversation about motherhood was really interesting and not a binary conversation. And then when Miranda kind of at the end goes, but it'll be wonderful because you got to kind of. Yes. A little bit of sugar with your medicine, you know, I just. Yeah, that was that was that scene was stand out to me and the SEMA scene. And then it was just a lot of nonsense around (laughs) that. It's true. There were some fun moments in this episode, though. I think it is getting more towards old sex, the city. Um, There's a moment when social media person comes in and shouts at all the podcasters on Carrie's podcast for not being on social media, which again, no one would do that. They wouldn't, they'd say, 
if I wanted to say to someone, if I was producing, well, I do produce people's podcasts and I might say, some people you know are on social, some mm-hmm. people you know aren't, but if mm-hmm. you needed to get the numbers up, you might say, it'd be great if you did some more social media on this this week, but you wouldn't shout at them in the way that she does. But there's a funny moment where her colleague says, I would totally play the death card, um, you know, for saying why yeah. you're not doing more on social media, given this woman had sort of put her foot in it and used a lot of accidental death analogies. Mm-hmm. And Carrie says, oh, I'm going to, but I'm saving it for when she tells me I have to go back on Twitter, <laughs> which made me laugh. Um, it, yeah. Well, I would say that um, let's talk about the real villains of the series. There are two. One is Carrie's abusive, toxic workplace, because if people aren't telling her to step her pussy up, they're ignoring oh the fact that she's in deep grief. Like, why honestly, does she need to that Why job, are people horrible she's to this so woman wealthy. who's 55? Where is the respect from any fun. character in this workplace? They are she the rudest of the bats. On that podcast. Doesn't fit at all. Then the other villain is that goddamn Peloton that will not die. Oh the Peloton kept appearing. It was like Freddy Krueger. I was like, Jesus Christ, it's back. <laughs> what the hell, man? She it's literally like, got that peloton out of. I, I would be. Is this a Blumhouse? Is this a, like a Blumhouse joint? Like, why is the peloton back? And it was really sinisterly framed. Yes. Like, oh my god. She gave it to a doorman. Next thing you knew, it was back. back. <laughs> it was. That's so funny. That's so. It's like funny. The, the kid of the Poor room. Peloton. Like, they must be like. For God's sake, can oh, you please listen. stop mentioning our product? <laughs> However, I don't know what I know you've had a really rough week, Deborah, with, with COVID and everything and Christmas plans and things been cancelled, but you still haven't had as bad a week as Peloton. No, that's true. That's absolutely true. <laughs> For a lot true. of reasons. That's absolutely true. COVID hasn't had a bad as week as Peloton. COVID COVID has had better PR than I mean, Peloton. actually, to be fair, I think Peloton are probably doing all right out of it because a lot of people who've never heard of Peloton are now like, oh. Um, but they're trying to do ads saying we won't kill you. Um, so do you have any predictions for how the rest of the season is going to play out, Jess? Um, they're doing some incredibly strange trackling for an intervention with Miranda. Oh my God. Every week though. We get it. We get it. You've hinted at it a lot. Like you need to either... (laughs) Have the intervention or not? What but is happening right she now? She just and seems this- to be like a Londoner, though. She seems to be like Honestly. a functional person who enjoys wine all the time. Yeah, like, uh, in, uh, in New York, your friends are like, "Oh my god!" It's like that episode of Friends where they're like, "Did you notice Fun Bobby drank, yeah. you know, X amount of wine?" It's like, but he was fun, so it was not really. Uh, what's going on? It's just really strange choices with this journey. It's so hard to grab a hold of it because I I could so see a really interesting journey of just a couple of glasses turning into a bottle, turning into two bottles and this creeping up on her really subtly and actually friends not noticing. But when you have things like miniature liquor bottles in her backpack or having a glass of wine at half 11, you're like, well, this is like if somebody Googled signs someone might be an alcoholic and these popped up. (laughs) That's what it feels like. And they go, quick, we better crowbar something. Whereas I think there's a much kind of more interesting, um, hey, man, are you like her like blacking out or her yeah. like something that just is going a bit too far. And it really makes sense. We if, never like, see her drunk. We ever, never uh, see her drunk. No. And that's like, the interesting thing for me because Miranda is so functional. Yeah. She's going to bed at last thing at night having a really... She takes her makeup off. Intense conversation with her husband, sort of like, you know, this happened or whatever. Mm -hmm. She's totally on it at every single conversation. Mm -hmm. She's never drifting out. She doesn't seem to be using it as a sort of self-medication. or So I don't know. What we're seeing is Americans (laughs) getting upset by people drinking at times when they think they shouldn't be drinking, but we're not seeing any downsides of the drinking. There's a culture in London. I just think people just let you get on with it unless you are in some way or another, you know, having having problems with that. And then, yeah. of course, we'll have that conversation. But it's very unusual in London. It's, it's like, did you see that she had a glass of wine? And it's like, and then the um, the other thing was, um, oh. so I think there's a bit of a cultural issue here because weed is legal. And I I feel this, yes. like, like, so Miranda has like a scotch before the funeral, you know, and it's all a bit, ooh. And then you have Jay uh, vaping um, yes. a, a weed product. And that's meant to be, absolutely fine and cool and Miranda needs to chill and I'm like I why is weed utterly fine and people are sparking up in indoor venues and that's all fine whereas like she had a third glass of wine she had a cabinet like, it feels yeah. very like this little cultural chasm there because obviously weed isn't legal over here that's not 
you know, that that's a different thing. And and yet, like what Miranda's drinking, when, although, like I said, the half eleven thing does a bit much. And 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 really, it doesn't knit together. And I just feel like you have to take great care and have authenticity with any addiction storyline. And I'm surprised that care wasn't taken because there certainly was care taken with the styling. They look fantastic. Harry's hair never better. I suspect that the storyline will be Miranda realises she needs to quit booze and at the same time she won't smoke a joint with her new lover, Jay. Um, That's what I'm guessing it will be. Or she'll discover that weed is better for her than booze, which for some people it is. For some Mm -hmm. people they can can do one and not the other. And I wish weed were legal here because in many Mm -hmm. cases if you were starting a country from scratch, you'd legalise weed before booze. Really? um, but yeah, it is a strange one. Uh, it, it's it, for a Londoner to watch because we are not seeing any downsides to the booze. So for me, I'm like, look, she's in a fifty. She knows what she can handle. She mm. knows what she can't handle. Yeah, she's she's perfectly functional. Patch. It's just yeah. not for them to say that she is not functional if she clearly is. She's not struggling. Like I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, and when Charlotte so- said we don't need another bottle, Miranda was like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> she was. She was like, "Oh, come on, Charlotte! You always spoil things." She was like, "Okay, yeah. no problem. It, I'll go back. That's cool." You know? Yeah, it very. It's very strange. The Charlotte promise is uh, her child is non-binary, but we didn't see anything about that this week. Mm-hmm. Um, Miranda's promise is that she's going to start a love affair with mm-hmm. Carrie's colleague Jay, and Carrie has been having this tiny flirt through the glass with the producer of the podcast. He has a sign on his head saying successor. successor. Yeah, I mean, so, but it's, it's again, it's very as soon as I saw, there, I, edging and edging. I, dude, I, when I saw him behind the glass, I was like, oh, they're going to kill Big. That's how I knew. When I saw wow. a, when I saw a silver fox behind the glass, I was like, mm, age appropriate love interest for Carrie and she would never have an affair on Big. By the way, how do we feel about Carrie's name being Caroline? I think we might have known that. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah I think I Caroline. think we've possibly heard that before. I and I before. suspect in the Young Carrie Diaries, which is a teenage show about the Young Carrie Bradshaw, which I've never seen. I don't recognise it. I've never seen it, but no, I, I believe there was a teen it. youth, a YA show. Uh, mm-hmm. And I suspect I knew she was Caroline. Well, if it's a YA show, then it's not my demographic. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. me neither. But I suspect we knew it. Uh, but yes, that was really confirmed in canon for the first time because True. the man in the bodega calls her Caroline. Um, so I am going to be interested to see what happens. I suspect we're going to see both Miranda and Carrie doing some exploration into sex and romance. I suspect yeah. Seema's going to join the group and be more of a Samantha-y figure. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's going to be a permanent part-time member of the group. Mm-hmm. I suspect we'll go back to the core three. I think she might keep her a bit separate and distinct because she's like, her. all her friends knew Big knew everything. It seems like a little holiday from the Big of it all because she only ever knew her after Big. A-B. Yeah, and they've said that explicitly, yeah. so it so, helps. Um, when, the, when that was in the writing, I thought, oh, that really rings true. And she's like, we just had lunch and we just chatted and it was lovely. Yeah. Um, but no, I she think... She doesn't feel sorry for me because she doesn't know me. Yeah. yeah, so I think I wonder, will she keep her a little bit separate to the gang in order to preserve that? But again, is that is that interesting? Because what's no, interesting she's is... She's going to be folded in. In my opinion, she, she's, she's going to be, be folded in <laughs> folded because in. she like, is this permanently single out there yeah. on all the dating apps, which is, you know, the sort of what Samantha would be, I guess. Yeah. Um, having the time. And she's given guess. us, like, selling sunset energy, you know. She's giving us powerful realtor in beautiful clothes and fabulous 100%. cars. And I'm super here for it. Like, because we really are missing the Samantha glamour. We're missing so much from Samantha. But definitely that kind of, like, that just X, the extra, you know. Yeah, and, like, when she, like... Put, put out the cigarette butt with a pair of Pradas. I was like, mm. yes. Or whatever she was, whatever she had in her feet. It was something very fancy. I was like, yeah, like some mo- moments of boldness like that, you know, like mm. the fun of it all. Um, yes. I'm really hopeful for more fun as we get further fun. away from Big back into her. I think 
They were looking at maybe her buying another place, but I think she's going to go back to her old place because it's what we want. Mm-hmm. So I suspect she's going to live back in her old flat, single life, and start having a glamorous love affair with the producer. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see a little bit more fun and we're going to stop talking about Big so much. That's my guess. Well, I think everybody wants that all around. Jess. Yes. It has been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for joining us. I want um, to thank you because this is honestly a huge Christmas present. I, I This show, I've had a, a loving, complicated relationship like you have with all great things. And, you know. All great problematic things. All great problematic, multi-layered, nuanced things. But for something, it was it was such a pleasure to be asked to discuss this because it's endlessly fascinating. And where whatever, wherever you stand on it, it throws up conversations about IVF, friendship, mm-hmm. race relations, all these things. It throws it up. Um, but just seriously, Carrie, stop doing that podcast, man. <laughs> she doesn't need to do it. She's so rich. Do, what, do your own podcast. Why is she not doing a podcast for single women and with a with a like an agony aunt thing? I don't understand. Oh, oh, oh. She'd be doing fingers it crossed. Like what if the end season finale um is actually her and Samantha launch their own podcast? Could you imagine? Could you imagine Samantha on a podcast? I As think I they would be wonderful, and I think the chances of Kim Cattrall coming back are very slim. Ooh, yes. um, do you have anything to plug? For insights like this and more, do follow me at It's Jess Regan on Twitter. I have a wonderful podcast uh, called uh, Best Pick, where we look at film from a variety of different angles. Um, we have a book coming out, which is a, his- a journey through Hollywood and the Oscars, um, coming out in February, available to pre-order now. Uh, and that's it, really. Yeah. Excellent. Check out Best Pick and it's Jess Regan. Also go on Jess Regan's Big Speeches. If you are a guilty feminist, it's an online course to help you come into yourself and communicate fully. Um, very, very good. And it gets great reviews. Um, thank you so much, Jess Regan. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks thank so much. And thank you to our listeners. You have been listening to the Guilty Feminist Watchers and just like that with me, Deborah Francis White, my very special guest, Jessica Regan. The producer for the Spot Data Shop was Tom Selinski. The Guilty Feminist is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Just like that, it's on HBO Max in the United States and Sky Comedy in the UK. Join us next time for episode five, Tragically Hip. <laughs> <laughs>